Welcome to the Keel Hauled Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Logan, and we've got a lot of Sea of Thieves news to cover today. So tie yourselves to the mast and hold fast. Ahoy there, pirates. I hope you get yourselves a good week and a good weekend. I know I did. This week is a very special episode. I prefaced this last week if you were listening, and we are going to be diving into a very special interview with Beard Again. He's joined us to talk about his life and his streaming life, how he deals with ADHD, and a lot more when it comes to the game, his favorite things, balance, things like that. And we're going to cover a little bit about what we got in the latest update. Not all of it, but we did want to talk about some of the cosmetics because I really like them and I figured I'd let you guys know about those. Also, if I can get this in, I can't promise this right now because I'm recording it and I haven't done it all yet. But if I can, I'm hoping to have a very special audio kind of drama thing at the end of this episode. Uh, so you get all of the beard again you want in the first half. That's going to be all there. And then in the last half, if this works out, I'm going to have something special for you. I'm all excited for it, and I'm looking forward to, to working on it after I get done with this intro. So let's get into it. But before I get into any of that, I have to thank the patrons because they're the ones that are supporting this podcast to make it possible for me to continue working on the episodes each week as much as I try, as hard as it is, uh, I still am able to get these out weekly. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I know that I'm doing it for the patrons as well. Uh, so thank you to you for all that are supporting. If you want to do so, you can head over to Keelhauled, no, patreon.com forward slash Keelhauled podcast. Uh, it's all available there. You can see the tiers and any support you give helps me. Uh, just kind of continue on with doing things like this and getting into gaming and stuff like that. So thank you all so much. Um, thanks to People's Republic, L Cute, Balls, Bam Bam Bagel, Captain Haskell, Captain Hayes, Chateau Neuf, Zombie Killer, Cloud, Cosmic Johnson, Static Mirror, Davram TV, El Jefe Esteban, Fergatron, Trickster, Jabaro 5, Carl Embo, Kazia the Rogue, Lumpy SRQ, Dub Dub Goose, Evil Morpheus, Xbox Mike 29, Murphy Lives, Mutinous Max, Raja the Brave, Registella, Replicated Flame, Rust Belt Kid, Norwegian, Skamelt 666, Sudesh, Captain Dasm, That Kilted Guy, Tian Professor, Real Big Tuna, Big Bad Pad, Mina Fairy, Super Pack, Music Me, The Lore Chronologist, Dead Eye Dre, Heger Owl, Ghost Boy 20, Evil Martha, Peter Miller, Ruski Doo, Thor Von Blitz, Windsor Chris, and Zam. Wow, thank you all so much for your support. Again, it is what keeps the lights on. It's what helps pay for bills. It does a lot that you didn't think a podcast would be able to do, but it does help me a ton. So thank you so much for that. Um, and with that, let's get into this week's interview with none other than Beardageddon. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Keelhauled Podcast. Uh, as I have mentioned in the past, um, I, I wanted to get different guests on. Uh, I did have a really good time at SOT Fest, and while I was there, I managed to get a chance to talk to a bunch of the other different creators in the community. And I was really bad about following up with them, and it wasn't until um, you guys actually reached out to me and told me that I need to get on that, uh, that I reached out to some of them. So I've got a bunch of them uh, uh, lined up for the next coming months, uh, but I wanted to kick things off with probably one of the, the biggest names in CFE's content creation right now, especially for the streaming site over on Twitch, which is Beard again, who has been in the game since the get-go. So Beard, you are the, the first person that I think of when it comes to soloing Megs. You're one of the best people out there when it comes to growing beards. 
Welcome. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm feeling revitalized after a little Sunday afternoon nap. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. I've got a cup of tea. What more could I ask for? Oh, that's fantastic. Is, it, is there like a nice light little drizzle that's kind of like moving clouds kind of passing over the uh, the fields and stuff? Uh, in terms of English weather, it's a light drizzle. Some people would call it torrential, but yeah, in terms of uh, English weather, it's a light drizzle. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it sounds like the perfect day to stay inside and go play games, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, I wanted to get you on for, for multiple reasons. Uh, and my community reached out to me with a bunch of really good questions as well, too. So I want to let them know before we get into their questions that I want to get into to talking to you about stuff. But um, I do want to get some of their questions in because they were nice enough to uh, to submit those for you. A lot of people are very, very interested in you, by the way. I don't know if you know this. You're kind of popular. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's... I, I, <laughs> probably way more popular than me so that's a good a good sign right there you're doing better than most of the people out in the the uh, community but i did want to actually talk to you um a little bit before sea of thieves uh how long have you been gaming uh so i started gaming at the age of three years old oh my. uh my i'll never forget sitting in my my bedroom it may have even been my brother's bedroom actually because it's such an early memory uh and watching him play chucky egg on i think it was the commodore 64 and wow. literally obsessed, obsessed from day one. Um, so yeah, so since I was about three, that's the that's my first real memory of of playing video games. Man, so okay, and I know English uh, like video games tended to to differ than like American as far as I as far as I know. A lot of folks had Commodore sixty fours and PCs growing up over there uh, compared to Americans, where we we predominantly had the console wars. And, and right the console wars came much later i'm I'm very old don't forget <laughs> well i think I, I could be wrong but i think i might have you be because i was born in 82 oh just uh only just oh, okay. 83, 83 for me <laughs> well i can tell you on this side of 40 uh not much has changed no I, everybody always says like oh it'll be different at 30 it'll be different at 25 it'll be different at 40 and so far the only difference is i'm just a little bit more tired yeah <laughs> I guess that's where we get to appreciate those naps, though. <laughs> and the caffeine. Yes, the caffeine. I, um, I've got, I was in prep because uh, being Pacific Coast time, it's about seven o'clock my time when we're recording. Um, so I've got my, uh, my Athena colada and I've got my, nice. my coffee. <laughs> oh, wow. You're, you're prepped. <laughs> I, I, I went and thought ahead about this, which is uh, very rare, but I wanted to make sure that I was um, up to beat and, and kind of like awake for talking to you because i know you're very high energy most of the time <laughs> i'm actually a lot more chilled out off stream believe it or not oh that's that's that doesn't surprise me i, I like <laughs> as much energy as you put into the stream i can't imagine you'd be like Whew, as soon as the camera I mean, goes after, off <laughs> after streaming twitch chat and a toddler i don't really have a lot of energy left for myself anymore <laughs> Well, thankfully, you've got a really nice family to to help kind of take care of you afterwards. Yeah, they're they're amazing. My wife's absolutely amazing, and I couldn't do this without her. Um, so, uh, I, f I felt like I got on a tangent there, but I want to go back to to gaming. So, you you said that the console wars came later to you. Was that something that you experienced a fair amount of your life, or or have you been like dedicated to like one console? Like, if you had to pick a console throughout your your uh, your kind of childhood and growing up and stuff, was there one that you always kind of think back fondly on oh man so this is this is a difficult one because i've never really been loyal to specific brands or consoles or anything like that i've always mm. i was really fortunate growing up in that i had 
a nan who was like she was my best friend and she absolutely loved me and she basically got me a master Aww. system and a mega drive um at the age of like 60 she was beating me at streets of rage 2 when i was like <laughs> you know i should be in my gaming prime essentially um so i had that with the one side and then my nan on the other side she had snares and i had a a nes nintendo and um so i kind of i was rounded with with a lot of the consoles growing up uh so i never really had a favorite it was just kind of whatever mood struck me at the time but uh yeah, like playing playing Mega Drive against my nan and getting beaten in the streets of Rage Two is you know that's something I'll take with me through the rest of my life. Oh, that's actually that's a, a fantastic memory. I always had to. Yep. Uh, I had one kid across the street when I was in like middle school, high schoolish time, and he had all the Segas. I had all the NES and Super Nintendos and stuff, and I would go over to his place to play like uh, Madden and, and Sonic and Ninja Gaiden and stuff. And I would, they would always come over to my place to play like Mario Kart and uh, GoldenEye, stuff like that. It's a good cultural exchange. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it, there was a little tension, you know, obviously like we always felt like ours was the best. So we, of there, course, we were as always you do. Be like, oh, well, you know, if you, if you want to come over and play Mario Kart, I understand. And they'd be like, okay, well that's, that's fine. You know, if you wanted to actually play a, console that had three you know more than three buttons or uh, <laughs> all that fun so it was it was a little bit of a, a prodding here and there but i mean we were kids what did we know um, yeah absolutely so i wanted to to kind of talk to you a little bit kind of growing up then um because obviously you haven't been streaming the whole your whole life so when did streaming get introduced into your life uh so i'm actually just coming up to my eight year it'll be eight years on the uh i believe it's the 14th of november i created my account around the 7th and then i did my first ever stream on the 14th um and incidentally a very weird coincidence i actually just found out that the first ever play test for sea of thieves was the same day that i did my first ever stream and it's kind of like those oh, wow. see, seeing those two paths kind of come together and cross has been really cool the more i've spoke to the developers and stuff and they've kind of told me the journey they've been on and obviously i've been on my own separate journey and now yeah seeing it all come together is very cool oh that's that's so interesting that's so like of all the days uh, i know right happen, it's crazy man okay so in that case like let's get into a little bit of of uh life as as beard is kind of growing up because obviously you've been you've been married for a while you have a kid you got you know he got your dogs and stuff like that so um what was it like kind of getting to the point where you had had created your account you decided to stream what was the conversation like with uh with with your wife to kind of decide on like how that was going to work so she she's always been incredibly supportive of everything i've done like it's it, it doesn't matter how how silly it is like i i have uh i have adhd and i tend to kind of go off on tangents quite a lot and one day i'll want to be a streamer and one day i'll want to be a, a dj and one day i'll want to be a, a professional athlete or, or whatever and wh whatever i decide to do she's just always right there in my corner and when i said about streaming she was like look if it makes you happy just just go for it you know like like yeah. whatever you want to do if it, if it makes you happy then brilliant that's so funny that's uh and, and for those that don't and most of you probably know but puzzle is your wife yes that's correct so and and it's funny that you bring that up because uh i don't know i, I wouldn't say my wife has adhd she definitely has attention deficit disorder i don't know if it's hyper mm -hmm. disorder though but um she will she jumps from thing to thing so the the number of times we've had to like we've bought a bike or we've bought a stairmaster or we've we've signed up for yoga class like she'll she'll put her toes in in many many different pools of water and always mm -hmm. like after a certain amount of time 
it'll bore her and then she'll move on to something else. And then like six months down the line, she'll pick it back up and be like, oh yeah, I really want to, I'm really into this. I really want to get this stuff and stuff. And it always comes down to the, can I get this? And I'm like, (laughs) that's the problem when with ADHD, you end up becoming like a kind of like a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Yeah. You pick up all of these different hobbies and all these different things. And you get to a point where you go, oh, I'm I'm kind of where I want to be with that. I'm I'm bored of it now. I'll do something else. I'll, I'll put that on the back burner. Hence why I have like loads of consoles and, and stuff in the house that I just haven't played in months because, you know, I, yeah. I keep getting distracted by new shiny things. So I wanted to, to dive into that because that's obviously that's been a, a big part of your personality online. And it, and it really does kind of touch to uh, what I think a lot of folks have to cope with when it comes to gaming. Um, and, and Davram, one of my buddies uh, who was at SOT Fest, um, he wanted to ask the question. And, and I might as well get into the the three questions for him because they're so relevant right now. But um, his first question is in a duel of beards, who would win between you in behaving beards? because someone has to lose <laughs> um i oh this is a difficult question because when it comes down to the beard right now i'm i'm you know if we're going on length and girth which most men you know that's how yes. they tend to judge everything uh right now i think i've got him beat but his beard grows so fast and so magnificently that <laughs> like within a day he will be absolutely destroying me again he has the advantage though because I, I don't eat meat or anything whereas he does he's like a you know red-blooded meat-eating male and and as i swear to god everybody who eats meat just has these epic fabulous beards <laughs> see okay so that's an interesting discussion to, to jump into because i i went vegan for about four years uh mm-hmm. for a while to to see how how available it was and and my wife and I were doing really good with it, um, but we noticed that uh, it was it was unfortunate because her blood count, uh, her iron count was um, starting to dip too low. And even with dietary changes, we couldn't really get her her iron level up high enough. And we were wanting to donate blood or not blood, but um, plasma. And we okay. couldn't we couldn't awesome. quite do that if uh, if we were below our iron count. And the the best recommendation that her doctors gave her was is that she had to go back onto a meat diet to be able to to easily keep her iron count up so that was yeah a- well my, my wife's had a, a similar thing she um we're not exactly yeah. sure what it is that she's deficient in but she has ended up having to go back to eating fish and eating dairy and stuff and it's like yeah. instantly just just a turnaround in her health you know a lot of people say that being vegan is bad for you or whatever and I, I don't think it necessarily is i just think that it's for some people they just can't live that lifestyle like it just won't work with their bodies yeah and i and i think that was kind of the case is is we we had a really good time with it it was really nice we found some really good restaurants and stuff and wasn't really an issue but it was just one of those weird situations where it was just it, like the health started coming to question and i was fine with it it didn't seem to bug me but then again i i avoid doctors so whatever issues I was probably having, I didn't notice on the, on the surface. So it was totally fine for me. Yeah, I get it. dude. So, and, um, so with, with Beardly, I, I have a follow up question from Davram and he asks on a scale of one to goat, how strong is the bromance? <laughs> uh, between me and Beardly or between me and Boxy? Uh, I mean, let's go with Beardly first. So Beardly, it's actually an interesting story. We Beardly and I have never had a rivalry or anything like that but both of us sort of have admitted to each other that before we met we were kind of like i'm probably not going to get on with this person very well 
Um, and I'll never, I'll never forget like the first day we met, as soon as I met him, he came up and he gave me a hug and I'm a hugger as well. Um, and it was just after COVID and like, you know, you, you hadn't really had any physical contact or anything with anyone for ages and things were just going back to normal. And then to meet this lovable Northern gentleman who comes up and gives me a hug, we sit down and start having dinner. And one of the first things he starts talking about is how much he loves his wife. And, you know, cause we've got chatting about family and stuff. And it was like, it was at that moment that I was just like, I'm going to get on with this guy very, very well. Like we both have a really similar outlook on life. We both, you know, we're both family men. We're both pirates with beards. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, Beardley and I, we, um, I mean, I, you know, I only met him last year, I think it was, I think we met. And um, we speak to each other most days now on the phone or, or, or you know, via Discord or anything like that. So yeah, uh, yeah. bromance with Beardley is, is very strong. And obviously with Boxy, I mean, out of 10, out of one to go, I would say it has to be goat, right? Yeah. I would, <laughs> I would hope so. It's really Don't great. Tell him I said that. No, that's that's fine. This is all. I'll, <laughs> I'll edit this out. I'm sure. Roger, Roger. I'll, that. I'll definitely remember that. Uh, <laughs> so that takes us to the serious question, which is: uh, as someone who has ADHD, uh, what are some things you can share that have learned or that you've learned to help you be so successful in content and gaming? Others uh, and in gaming for others with ADHD who may be interested in content or struggle staying focused playing Sea of Thieves uh, with so much downtime with sailing around? That was the most hyper-focused ADHD question I've ever been asked, and I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was so specific. Um, so I so I always knew that I had ADHD. Like It was something that my parents kind of knew from a young age. Um, but in, in the 80s, the doctors were kind of like, we know there's something wrong, but we, we don't know what it is. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like It was very much new. Um, and I only got officially diagnosed with it about 10 years ago. Um, and when I got officially diagnosed with it, they, uh, the lady who diagnosed me, she said, like, because of the fact that I've dealt with it for so long, I've invented all of these coping mechanisms. She's like, I can't tell you what they are. Only you'll know that. Um, and personally, I still don't really know what they are. The one thing I can say is that when it comes to stuff like content creation or when it comes to making music or whatever it is that you get into, you can really use ADHD as a tool to help you with that because you can you can take that hyper-focus and you can really put all of your energy into just one thing that you absolutely love. And that's, for me personally, I think if I didn't have ADHD, I think that I would have probably ended streaming a long time ago because it's that that keeps me fixated and keeps me focused. And keeps me wanting to to keep doing it, basically. That's really interesting. Because I, I know mm. from watching your streams over the years, it's it always feels like you're one of the few people who can have a high skill cap for playing Sea of Thieves. And you're able to actually maintain not only your ship and keep keep something in the back of your mind, like this is how many holes I have. This is the flow rate. This is how many, how much water I have. I have roughly about this much amount of time before I need to do a bucket to be able to keep my ship afloat. Hop on the cannon, be able to put a few shots into someone, address chat, thank someone for the raid, and then be able to turn the wheel, adjust, hop back down while you're eating a piece of fruit, scoop another bucket, maybe put up a, a plank, and then go back to chat. Like you're very good because of what I think is is attributed to ADHD. It could just be the fact that you're really good at, at handling multiple things at once. But um, <laughs> my my assumption, and that may be the fault in in the question here, is is that it was always attributed to ADHD. But do you think ADHD is what helps you kind of keep the ability to? Uh, uh, focus on so many different things 
at the at the instant that you're actually working on them and then be able to just drop it and move to the next thing yeah 100 percent. i i seriously think that if i didn't if I didn't have that, that it would, it, I would be a very, very different player. You know, I'd be focused just on the one thing, but it's kind of like, it's almost like I, I, I prioritize everything as I'm doing it. So, you know, I'll, 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 like, as you said, I work out exactly when I need to go and get a bucket. I work out exactly when I need to shoot. I glance at chat. I do all these things. And after this much time and this many hours, most of it is completely subconscious. Like I, I don't even know that I'm doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think that, um, I think that if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the way that my brain works, I definitely wouldn't be able to do all of the, the things the way that I do them. And that kind of brings me into uh, the question that I've been wanting to ask you since you started streaming Sea of Thieves. Um, what made you decide that you wanted to take on the Hungering One solo with a chicken board <laughs> naked? What did make me decide that? Um, I think it was just being a glutton for punishment. I think it was literally just, I think it was literally just, I, I kind of, at first I overestimated my own ability to play the game. And I was like, I wonder if this can be done. And then I remember reading, I think it was Mike Chapman was saying like, we designed this so that no one would be able to do it without a crew. And I went, well, now I have to try it. Like this, (laughs) this has to be done. And the chicken, I don't know where the chicken came from. And I don't know why I did it completely naked. I don't know why any of that stuff happened. I'm sure there's probably some people who do remember why that happened, but yeah, I, I just specifically remember spending 45 minutes of my life in absolute so distress funny. trying to trying to defeat that thing. <laughs> um, so for those that don't know, uh, this was something that was put out on Twitter as a challenge, and uh, the lovely Deadly Daily, um, who's now working over at Playtonics, was one of the CMs over at Rare. Uh, she posted the the tweet that she wanted to challenge anyone to see if they could actually kill the hungering one solo, naked, keep a chicken alive on board uh, and, and defeat it um, without any additional help. And the trick back then was is that you needed five crew members to be able to uh, to actually summon it. And the, the trick was is you found a galleon um, who was nice enough to carry the tune from Sharkbait Cove over to the little section between what what is now Thieves Haven and, and Devil's Ridge. Um, back then it was just a, you know, we, we just kind of knew they were shaped islands. We didn't really remember the names back then. And mm-hmm. you decided to uh, take it on. I remember you thanked them. They sailed off, uh, I think, in a fairly, fairly far distance just to kind of keep an eye on things and see how things went. And then you spent the next like 40 minutes working on bucketing shooting <laughs> trying to keep this chicken alive all while not wearing any clothes yeah I, I remember <laughs> i'll just i always remember like it when it finally died and i just glanced up and saw the chicken was alive and i don't know if i acknowledged it out loud but like there was just a moment in my head of thank god the chicken's still alive like, not that i just beat <laughs> this thing solo but i've done it i've kept the chicken alive that's what matters <laughs> falco will still be my friend <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I did want to, uh, I guess it falls in line with some of the questions that I want to ask. So let me, let me jump into some of the other stuff. So Big Bad Pad um, wanted to write in and said, if you weren't streaming Sea of Thieves as your main game, what would you be streaming? Uh, so before I streamed Sea of Thieves, I was really, really big on survival crafting games. Uh, mm. Daisy, Stranded Deep, Subnautica, The Forest. Um, yeah. An interesting side note about this, actually. So um I was speaking to Chris Marlowe at uh, it was either Sea of Thieves Fest or EGX. I can't remember where I spoke to him. Mm-hmm. I think it was Sea of Thieves Fest. Uh, and I turned around to him and I said, the thing that I love about Sea of Thieves is that it's this player-driven content that 
you don't really see in other games where you know you, they literally just put you in this world and the players make what goes on and i happen to say to chris it really reminds me of daisy and i've never heard anyone else make that comparison and he kind of looked at me like like taken aback a bit and he went do you do you know what why we started making sea of thieves and i was like well no why and he's like we saw daisy and we wanted to make that kind of experience in another game but we didn't know where to take it and we ran through all these ideas and then eventually we you know we came up with sea of thieves but that was the idea that Daisy was a huge influence for Sea of Thieves, and Daisy also happens to be the game that I started out on. So oh, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I remember uh, I've I've had a good conversation with Chris, and he talked about him. Uh, it was Andy Shelley, and I think a, a maybe Mike might have been brought in a little bit later on, but they were like just toying around and playing with with the prototype of what Sea of Thieves was, and just kind of in that unity form and how they had to build it together and how they were just, they were tossing every possible idea they could in there just to see what stuck and what felt good. Um, and then just kind of moving forward with that, gosh, it would it probably would have been about, yeah, eight years or so yep. ago when they started that off. Uh, and so to get into Pad's other questions, he says, uh, while streaming Sea of Thieves and other games being your job, uh, what do you like to play off stream and how does your play style differ between the two? <laughs> so I uh, basically for a long, long time, I didn't play any games off stream and I just played video games for my job and that was it. And um, I was trying to think of something that I could do in my free time because I was devoting all my time to streaming and then I was devoting all my time to the social media side of it as well. And I was never giving myself any time and it kind of made me like a little bit sick mentally for a good, probably a, probably a good year. I was like trying mm. to get out of this rut of like, what am I going to do? And then I just turned around one day to puzzle my wife and I was just like, I love video games. Why don't I just start playing games again? So I went and bought a PS5 so that I could play Final Fantasy, um, which I should have just got a PS4 for because obviously there are no good <laughs> games on the PS5 right now. Um, but that's kind of moved me on. So I then got a Nintendo Switch and then I've just recently got a... Um, uh, uh, meta quest sorry it's an oculus quest i refuse to call it meta oculus quest that's fair uh, and i'm playing uh I'm, I'm really into a lot of vr games at the moment um oh, so jealous. and i've actually oh, i love dude half-life alex man so good oh man <laughs> I, i've been i've been really i almost pulled the trigger back in august before the uh, price hike came i was so close to pulling the trigger on that but i'm like on this on this press of like like there's a fence and there's two dogs on either side in me <laughs> and one of them is barking oculus and the other one is barking uh psvr2 and the one that's barking i get it psvr2 is just a little bit cuter than the oculus <laughs> one and i'm so I'm, I'm waiting for the psvr2 but i've been wanting to get into vr the big issues is that i've got these big honking glasses on my face and right I, i'm like i'm so i'm so hesitant to jump into the oculus because i know i'm probably going to have to spend the money on the better headband on the uh the prescription lenses and after after all of said and done it was like what would have been like maybe a 300 400 investment was looking more like a 400 500 investment and looking that's at, exactly what happened to me yeah and so that was where i was like okay well let's look at the power of the the oculus quest 2 versus the the psvr specs and i was like weighing the two and i'm like all right if i'm going to end up spending four or five hundred bucks for one of these regardless I've already got the PS5. I know the studios that are making the content for that game, and I'm hoping that they'll eventually start porting some of the stuff from like the the Oculus and the Steam uh, Link stuff and and all of that over to the newer headset. I'm gonna wait and see how things go, and and I'm I'm that's where I'm at right now. 
Yeah, it's probably it probably makes a lot of sense to wait. To be honest, there's a lot of headsets coming out that yeah, you know, they are going to offer a lot more bang for your buck, basically, because you know VR is still quite young, really. Oh yeah, which is which is nuts because the history of it has been going on for the last thirty some years. Yep, I remember when I was a kid, I had a um, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was a little a little headset that you would hold up to your face, and you just had a left right button, and there was a racing game, and it was basically like a little tiny sort of taste of vr back then oh crazy. and it was it, dude it was crazy man i really can't remember what it's called but there was a load <laughs> of them and it was essentially it was essentially just like a game boy that you that you held up to your eyes directly yeah. and yeah you, you kind of got immersed in this little world it was great oh my god i remember getting a chance to um play a uh what was it it was the virtual boy i went to it was a blockbuster I, I don't know how I convinced my parents. I somehow managed, it was probably because I'm an only child and they felt like I had to do, they had to do something to kind of keep my attention. Otherwise I drive them <laughs> insane. Um, but it was, uh, I, I managed to convince them to to rent out from a blockbuster, one of the, the Game Boy VRs for like a weekend. And I got to, I just sat in my room like all weekend and I just played that thing back in middle school and stuff. And it was the most like mind blowing thing thing i had ever seen i was just like this is nuts i can see the, I can see the it's so cool and then we took it back and i was like can i have it and they're like no and it was probably a good thing because it died it died pretty shortly after uh i got a chance to actually get it but yeah oh, man. I'm, I'm so i'm so looking forward to, to jumping into vr so that's interesting that that your your experience kind of echoes what my fears were about the uh about jumping into the oculus yeah, I mean, I, I do like it a lot, but there's a few things about it that really kind of irk me. And one of them is the the FOV. It feels very yeah. much like you're looking through a pair of binoculars rather than being fully immersed in it. So, uh, yeah, like, I'm looking at a couple of headsets with much higher FOV, but they're um, they're very, very expensive. So that's yeah, that's always the caveat. Uh, but I, I, I'm really tempted to, to see it. Cause I really hope that the, uh, the, the tracking is, is gets better in the future system so that you can actually really map out like where your environment is, um, and have that higher resolution without having to be tethered. That's the thing that I think really holds VR back is the, the having to be tethered to 90% of the actual headsets. Yeah. I, I can't play it tethered. I've, I have a PSVR that's tethered. Um, and it's, it's not that bad, but like after switching to the Oculus and, uh, you know, going for a remote desktop or, or link or whatever, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just so much better having that freedom and actually be able to kind of walk around and not worry about tripping on a lead or yeah. you know, Obi running in and pulling the lead out or whatever. <laughs> I can see that being a trouble. Yeah. Thankfully I don't, I don't have any, uh, how many one that I have to worry about? Like my my cats usually just sit there and stare at me half the time when I'm doing stuff, and they then then they'll meow as soon as I move. So chances are I, I can usually like pinpoint where they're at most of the time when I'm doing stuff. You'd be surprised how immersed you get though. So I always know where my dog is, but then as soon as you're looking around, you get lost. And I was playing um uh what was I playing? I was playing Arizona Sunshine, mm. and uh, this I shot this zombie, and the zombie was on the floor, and I wanted to go over and kind of interact with it and see what I could do. <laughs> I went over and I put my hand on what I thought was the zombie's head and it turned out that the zombie's head then jumped up and I was like, whoa, whoa, what the hell is this? And it was my dog. My dog was where I didn't realize, I didn't realize where my dog was and I put my hand on my dog and she freaked out, bolted up and I, I nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> oh God, that's great. That's a good, that's a, oh man, I can't imagine what that would be like. like it was terrifying. Oh man. Well, I'm glad that, I'm glad that everything turned out okay. 
so and then uh, this is going to sound like a, a weird tangent, but I wanted to close out uh, Pad's uh, questions because he he's he got to meet you at Seathies Fest and EGX, uh, and he wants to know when is your podcast with uh, Beard uh, Beardly and, and Kraken going to start? We've been talking about this for so long, and the problem that we've got, all three of us lead such different lives and have such different schedules. I mean, I, I don't stream on the weekends, Beardly streams, on, oh, sorry, I don't stream on Sundays, rather, that's my only day off, Beardly streams on Sundays, Kraken streams from, like, stupid o'clock at night until, like, seven in the morning she goes to bed sometimes, and, <laughs> you know, I, I'll literally, we've got a little WhatsApp group that we all chat to each other, and I'll get a message first thing in the morning when I wake up, and it's Kraken still up playing Sea of Thieves, it's like, mm-hmm. go to bed, damn it. But yeah, trying to organize our <laughs> schedules together is just a nightmare. It's it's something that we really want to do. Yeah. But it's it's just trying to trying to figure out a time when. Yeah. It's I I fully understand that because I, I for trying to produce two podcasts, one during the week and one during the weekend. For some reason, getting the weekend one done is is always a little bit easier than trying to get the one done during the week because like the week is is like monday tuesday are literally the only two days that i really have to to dedicate to like whatever i want to do but then like wednesday i'm typically playing with other people thursdays are usually research nights fridays are recordings and then saturdays are usually streaming and gaming with friends uh or taking care of the misses and then sundays is usually like cram keel hauled in to to get that finished up so it's like i <laughs> i can't imagine streaming full time and being able to coordinate with two other people to try and find an hour to two hours of time to be able to record the the benefit is that you guys are all streamers so the the likelihood that you could all sit down jump on a a call and record it just as like visual and not really have to do too much editing that would Mm -hmm. probably be the biggest boon but uh, yeah if you guys are ever able to find like an hour to two hours of your of your day and have one person who might have a little bit more time to be able to get into the the editing aspect of it or i don't know if you guys have folks that do your uh, well i know you have you have some folks that do your youtube videos if i'm correct um, yeah that's ha- right yeah having them uh edit it would would probably be probably be really beneficial yeah i think like i say it's something that we definitely want to do and it's something i've wanted to do for the longest time because i'd like to branch out and do other things but you know it's it's one of those things where we want to do it but we're not gonna break our backs trying to organize it all mm, yeah and that's fair. That's fair. I will say that if, if you do start a podcast and, and with you guys having the presence that you do, uh, I would welcome it because it would then legitimize the the work that I've been putting in. So that way I would I would finally be able to get to, to talk to more people over at Rare. <laughs> Not that I'm selfish at all about this. <laughs> um, so I wanted to see, are you good with more questions? You want to dive into news a little bit? How do you feel? No, no, carry on, man. Absolutely. Okay. Keep, keep the questions coming. Right. No problem. Trickster wanted to know, uh, what is your favorite update and what is your least favorite update for the game? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you know, nothing. Hard. Uh, I, so I think I, I want to say the hungering deep because of the fact that that's the one that everybody always jumps to. But I think when they brought that back again, the feeling of the shrouded deep and the way that they kind of that you know they they paid a good homage to it and they'd actually mm. added to the to the experience as well i thought that was really really awesome and i loved that yeah. um i th- i think that you know they captured the the atmosphere of the original the original like story and stuff um i wasn't very happy about it being the shrouded ghost but you know that's that is what it is that you know they they made that decision and yeah. i eventually you know i didn't want to see the shrouded ghost for the first time in an adventure after yeah. nine and a half thousand hours i kind of wanted to see it in the wild but Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I decided to do the adventure because, yeah, that was amazing. Uh, and least favorite, 
um, probably the mermaid statues when they came in because <laughs> it, 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 it didn't really feel like it added anything to the game. And, you know, I, I, you played back then, right, when the mermaid statues first oh, came yeah. in? Yeah. So the game was... You know, I'm I'm not going to pull my punches. The game wasn't in a great place back then. There was a lot of problems with stability, with hit reg, with, you know, everything just didn't quite feel right. And then when this update came out and everyone was really excited because I think we were, I think we were on three monthly updates back then. So after three months, we get this update and it was the the mermaid statues that didn't really add anything to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a tough time. That's funny that that's the one that, that was probably your least favorite. I would, I would argue that the... Uh... I think the skeleton thrones were the ones that I, I liked the least. And it was, <laughs> it was all just because of the, you have to shoot yourself up to Marauder's Arch. And I'm like, this is the, this is the most painful thing I've ever had to do. And then they went and they repeated <laughs> it when they told you to go light the beacons for one of the festival of the dam events. And you had to go fire yourself up to crooked mass or crooked mass. And I was like, this is, I hate this. I hate this so much. <laughs> um, but it's funny that you picked the mermaid curse statues one, because that was the first update where I started to question uh, uh, Duke, the Dark Lord's um, intentions because I didn't. Uh, okay. I was like, why is this dude asking us to go destroy statues? What's up with these statues? Like these things don't mm. seem to be doing anything. If you go near them, they hurt you. So obviously they don't want you around. So why are we destroying them? And why do they want the gems? And that was when I was like, I don't, I don't think I really trust what this dude's up to. I don't really know. What he's, <laughs> I don't know what game he's playing, but he's not playing the same one I am. And if he's asking, I'll do it for gold, but I'm not happy about this. So yeah, <laughs> that's funny that that was yours. And I, I, I do agree that the shrouded ghost was, it was nice to finally see it in the shrouded deep. Um, I was honestly, I was hoping that this was rare kind of giving us a mea copa and that, after shrouded spoils back in 2018 you know just before 2019 rolled out they gave us this update and they're like go out and kill all the megs and we're like awesome i've been playing the game since beta this is fantastic we're going to be out there killing hungering ones and other stuffs and cool and we're going to sail into fog and we're going to find the shrouded ghost and now in like the year of 2022 i'm like god if i ever see this thing i can die happy (laughs) I thought it was one of those things where I was like, oh, as soon as they do the Shrouded Deep, they'll be able to uh, give everyone the one little tick just to be able to complete the Shrouded Spoil or the Shrouded, uh, uh, no, the, oh my God, I just blanked on it. Shrouded Spoils. Yeah. Shrouded Spoils update Mm -hmm. where all of us who haven't gotten the the Shrouded Ghost still have one little checkbox and 50 50 doubloons to to cash in on that that we can't. (laughs) Because Rare has decided that it has to be a chance encounter. And I was like, I just want to close. I just want to have the checkbox. That's all. <laughs> That's all I want. Not asking for much, man. I just want to clear out that one little thing so I can sit there and that I say that I finished all of the 2018 content and I can finally move on to the rest. <laughs> but no, no. So that was, uh, it's, but it was, I, I do think that if, Maybe if the game had been a little bit, it been um, tightened up a little bit, there weren't so the weird kind of glitches with, you know, catapulting ships into the sky. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think that the Shrouded Deep was a, a fantastic update. I thought it was re- I really surprised me on just how how much uh, they decided to really kind of lean into the Hungering Deep. And that was one of the things I think a lot of folks that uh, have been playing since 2018 really enjoyed were those really big kind of momentous events that that took us out somewhere had a really fantastic experience and then 
uh, brought us back and just let us kind of like live in the moment of the glory that was the, the you know, like the curse sales or uh, the hungering deep kind of event. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, yeah. Ahoy there, pirates. This is the ad for this episode, and I did want to let you know if you wanted to avoid these and just get a regular filler, you can head over to the Patreon. There's a special feed just for patrons that get the ad-free version. If you want to keep listening, though, I can't say I blame you because this week I want to let you know about Loot Crate and getting 15% off of most crates and crate subscriptions when you use the link and code ROBOTSRADIO in the show notes. Also, you can head over to audiobooks.com, get your first three audiobooks for free, and that can include any to VIP books or use the affiliate link for Green Man Gaming. If you're a PC gamer, you'd like to save money on games. It's one of the benefit of being a PC gamer. Head over to Green Man Gaming. You can get codes for Steam, Epic, any of the different stores that they have deals going on. They have deals going on all the time. And if you plan on buying there, please consider using our affiliate link. All of that goes straight to me through the network. Thank you all so much for everything that you do to support this podcast. It means the world to me and i continue to try and improve the quality and the content for you with that pirates let's get back to the show um let's get into some of the God, i didn't realize this the questions we're going to jump into so much of this uh if rare took double gunning option out of sea of thieves and force players and this is from xbox mike by the way and force players to use a sword and one gun of choice would you agree with it and how would you feel also mike wants to say wanted me to let you know that he says hi <laughs> hey mike how's it going dude um so i i don't double gun myself i always use uh i always use sword sniper or potentially sword blunder depending on what's going on mm-hmm. um i know a lot of people have said before that they like the idea of double guns you know being not being a thing and that you know it should be forced with the sword and things like that but i think if you're doing that you're instantly negating a whole portion of the player base who have just as much right to play the game as everyone else you know just because it's yeah. not the way that we play the game doesn't mean that they, they should play it any other way you know tools not rules and all that um i i don't think it would ever be a choice that rare would make because you know double gunning is a legitimate play style um the one thing that i will say which you know even even with the sword the way it is now in the position that it's in and how how bad it can be at times pirates had swords man I, you know and having that lunge as well i could never i could never lose that so even mm-hmm. if they didn't force it and whatever else happens i'm always going to be one gun one sword that's it i'm i'm right there with you i i don't think they'll take it out i think it would be a, a way to fix a lot of the a lot of the issues that i've seen i know boxy would probably get really upset about it but um I've always been of the mindset that I I want to use something that doesn't require ammo because you can't always guarantee that there's going to be ammo somewhere close. And if you if if you know I I called it back in the day, but if you hear that dead man's click, there's a reason mm-hmm. for it. Um, and I never wanted to be in that position, so I always have run with it. That and I've, I've got the ferryman's cutlass, man. That is it's still <laughs> it's my favorite sword. It's so pretty, it is beautiful uh so i can't i just don't feel like i could give up with that um i did want to ask you since we're on the topic of uh things that you couldn't live without um i've always been of the mindset and and i think i asked this a, a not too long ago but with loot sprinting um it's always been one of those things that has been tougher for console players and i've always tried to find the parity between console and pc players to try and even the ground to make sure that uh xbox gamers 
and 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 uh, PC players who use console or uh, controller feel like they have a fighting chance against uh, the the purely PC interface. Um, do you think that there's a, a huge disparity between the, the two interfaces uh, for, for PC gamers that use mouse and keyboard uh, or Xbox users that use mouse and keyboard and uh, people that use controller in Sea of Thieves? Uh, I think it comes it comes down to individual skill sets, really. I mean, there are definitely things which make it more difficult to play with a uh, controller. But I've, I watch a lot of um, like uh, like kill montages on YouTube and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And some of these guys on controller, like they are insane. Like some of the kills they get, and you know some of the some of their sword kills and stuff are just absolutely incredible and i remember i was actually fighting a crew a little while ago and i i don't even know why i asked them but i said oh are you on xbox or pc and they were like oh yeah we're on we're on xbox and i was like you guys have literally just been destroying me in close quarters for the entire time of this fight and all of them were using controllers so i think a lot of the time it does boil down to individual skill sets but yeah there's definitely there's definitely some things that are easier keyboard and mouse just for having you know all the extra buttons and and things like that that's pretty much where i'm at with it i feel like when i'm playing on pc i can get quicker access to uh items that i as i for for all intents purposes if i'm using my xbox i have to assign those to different paddles or something like that or i have to rely on the elite controller to, to tie to uh like fruit or uh weapon swapping hopping things like that um whereas with with controller or for mouse and keyboard it's, it's as easy as having just a thumb on the space bar and yeah absolutely that, you know i don't have to think about like okay which one's my jump button or something like that because i typically run with my jump on my r3 button so mm-hmm. that way i can turn and jump at the same time which not oh, many like people do which is really weird and and shout out to jay pizzle for the one that taught me how that i should be putting jump on the on the right joystick in because that way i have i don't have to move the joystick and i don't have to dedicate a button to it so like my my A button will be my food button instead of my jump button. So that way, yeah. it's, a, it's a weird, it's an interesting layout. I really wish he would actually come up with something to show to people like this is what his layout is because he's a he's a masterful PvPer when it comes to controller and and I always look to him as the the example that I think people should strive to do if they are playing on Xbox and feel like they're getting trounced a little too hard or uh, by by PC players. Yeah, but Pizzle's a good dude. I've known him for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah, he's he always dips in and dips out, but uh, he's always been around in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Uh, Craig wanted to write in. He said, I would love to know if pet crabs ever come to the game. Would you use it? And what costume would you like to see for the crabs? <laughs> uh, if the pet crabs do ever come to the game, I will probably use them until... I'm in PvP and I go to change my weapon or reload and then I pick my pet up and then go to ADS and just end up showing a pirate my pet while I get one blundered, which has happened so many times with the other pets. Um, (laughs) uh, But for some reason, the first thing that came to my head was a top hat and a monocle. I just feel Mm. like a crab with a top hat and a monocle would just be would be fire it would be awesome that would that would sell so much on the <laughs> on the emporium you're not wrong about that that'd be fantastic i'm gonna draw that maybe up. even a little walking stick as well yeah because why not like you know he's got the little I mean, you call it a walking stick i'd call it a pimp stick uh but i could see it i could totally see it embossing around a bunch of shrimp on the street that's fine uh <laughs> munis max wants to know should lorena stop asking and start demanding also are you dutch uh, am i dutch yeah no, no. Why do they think I'm Dutch? I don't know. I, I wish I, I know knew. a few. 
<laughs> I know a couple of Dutch words, but I'm I'm not allowed to say them because my Dutch friend says that they're not nice words. So, you know, those are usually the best words to learn first. I found in languages. Yeah, that's kind of where everyone goes first. Mm. Um, but yes, Lorena, Lorena should stop everything. <laughs> Just everything. <laughs> I I've I'm of two minds about this because uh for the longest time i've been asking for like a, a quest board not the one that we got but the the one that we deserve and that would kind of have like the a, a little bit of a a like a little skeleton kind of like when we had um i don't know what everyone calls them something different but when we have the reaper's table and we got the little skeleton like that's up there and he kind of like reaches down to try and grab you as you go over to look at, at the table to see like if there's any reapers or if you're setting up the emissary I always mm -hmm. wanted to have like uh I guess or like the the curse captain from Pirates Life Tall Tale One, uh when yeah. he's uh, board the when he's on the the mantle uh or not is it mantle the the plinth I can't remember what it's called a little bit above the door uh to the sea uh, sea of the damn tavern um, yeah I know what you mean I always thought something like that would be really fun to be able to kind of showcase like where new content is and instead they gave us uh, Lorena which is is fantastic to have someone kind of in person to interact with. Um, but with the most recent adventure, she actually started addressing us and then having contextual conversations to say like, oh, good, you're here. Hey, by the way, Belle wants to talk to you. She's over here. And then that kind of kicks off the start of the adventure. Um, mm -hmm. I think if if they're able to push it a little bit further, just a, a couple more steps down the line where they're actually able to address us and have that contextual conversation with, with the knowledge that, hey, we've already been dealing with uh, past adventures. She's up to date with what's going on and she's she's calling us to that. Um, I like the immersion factor that that brings. And I think that's... I, I'm absolutely fine with her with her doing that as long as there's an adventure on. It's like when there's nothing happening, she's like, hey, come here. I have a, a favor to ask. It's like, well, mm. what, what do you want? <laughs> do yeah. I have to wait two weeks for this? <laughs> what do you want from me? Yeah, no, that's not that's not a, 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 a bad point there. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to think if there's something else. No. OK, um, so uh, uh, we've got a couple other questions here. Um, Let's see. Matthew wants to know, I would like to ask what his favorite moment on Sea of Thieves was. And I think we might have addressed that a little bit. Oh, man, there's the problem is I get asked this question a lot. And there's just there's so many mm -hmm. amazing moments that it's really hard to to pick one and say, you know, that that would be my favorite moment. Um, the, the one that stands out right now is when LD and I were playing together and somebody took the um, Fort of the Damned Key and they hid it in the spikes in the uh, Shores of Gold. <laughs> and LD and I spent an entire stream, probably about two and a half hours, just gradually creeping our way through the spikes. LD figured out a way that we could get down there, die, and then get through the spikes and just keep basically relaying the key back and forward. And eventually we finally got it out after about two and a half hours. I will never forget, like my chat was just elated like usually people watch me for pvp content or for trolling or whatever i'm doing but this night everybody the whole of twitch was just invested in this adventure we were on that's so funny i i love those those kind of stories because that's it's it's always been actually it's probably been since like the the original the original forts where i had like a three-hour adventure 
um, up in the wilds where it was, it was literally like the like it was one of those games of attrition back before we had like the the the, the backpacks and mm-hmm. everyone spawned in you had you know you had like a hundred cannonballs a hundred planks and then you know uh, uh, like 50 bananas uh and it was just one of those situations where we were out of fort we were constantly killing we were constantly doing that we managed to get the the fort key and it was one of those situations where we had just sunk. We had sunk the other crew, so we knew that they were coming. And it was before we really knew about like where we could hide things or hide things in geometry and stuff like that. So I'm sitting here with this fort key, and I'm using my other hand to kind of like swim out into sea, just hoping I can get far enough before the sharks chomp me. And I dropped the the key out in the middle of the water, and I looked back at the island. I'm I marked my uh, position from the island based on the the compass, and then I kind of looked and saw like how far I had made it made it out. And just as I uh, finished pulling up my my compass to be able to look at it, um, I got snarked uh, in the back. No, by it. No. And it was and at that point it was like it was a race back to the fort uh, to see if we could find it. And and we got there and this was you know it was, it was me in a galleon with my buddies. There was one really really like confident sloop and then two other galleons and we were slow like slowly coming in and then we sailed around we waited and we couldn't find anything um and then we left for a little bit we went out into the shores and i don't i really don't know how this thing stayed afloat that long but we went out into the uh the shores of gold um we sailed around there for probably about a half hour and then we decided it had been enough time it had cooled off we'd let everyone else go to the fort to try and find the key and then we eventually came back and i kid you not that key was still floating out in the water i don't know how uh, (laughs) but we managed to find it back before there was any real good glint on anything that Mm -hmm. was like out in the water so we just happened to like stumble upon it um knowing that it was in a general vicinity in the water and we got that loot it was it was a three-hour mess and it was probably one of it was one of the best events uh, or little adventures that I had had in the beginning of the game because we had committed so hard to this one fort when we probably could have made so much more money doing anything else. <laughs> but it was so worth <laughs> just having that small little victory. And and I have no idea how that fort key stayed afloat for so long. The, those are the best moments, though, where the adventures happen and you've got no idea how one part of the adventure played out in order to get where you where you got to, basically. Yeah, exactly. It, it's and it's those things that I think that really make Sea of Thieves so, so interesting. Um, well, that was that surprisingly enough, I didn't think we'd actually get through it, but we managed to get through all of the questions that, that came in. Awesome. Um, some of them we've already kind of answered in the past. So hopefully folks, you kind of, you, you got your answer one way or the other. Uh, but I wanted to bring up some of the stuff that actually came into the game because, um, I don't know about you, but this latest adventure for me, um, has probably been one of my favorite adventures I've ever done in Sea of Thieves. And I'm a huge lore buff uh, for everything that happens in Sea of Thieves. So having this adventure was something that really kind of spoke to me. It, it gave me everything that I wanted as far as like going and talking to my my uh, Sea of Thieves waifu and then going and, and visiting uh, Pendragon, my favorite character, and then finally getting some resolution with Stitcher Jim. It was it was everything I could ask for. Um, and the only thing that I really ever thought was something that I would have uh, liked to see in the future is if there was a way to prevent the uh the the tornado that shows up for the herald of the flame for being something that everyone could see 
just so that if it were pulled into an instance, like if he had to jump into a portal to go do it, um, I think it would have taken out some of the immersion, but I think it also would have helped kind of make sure that you aren't creating this little, little ship queue where five or six ships are all stuck in a row waiting for them to, to get in next in line to be able to finish off the Herald of the Flame. But mm-hmm. I wanted to ask kind of what were your sort of thoughts of, of that? Have you done it? Have you had any, any qualms with it? Or, or what were some of your favorite things that happened with uh, the Herald of the Flame adventure? So I I really, really loved that adventure. I, I loved the the atmosphere of it. I, I actually really enjoyed being out in the raw without the volcanoes going off. It was nice to yeah. be able to appreciate the scenery right. without it being a pain being there. <laughs> um, but uh, of all of these adventures that actually happened, every single time there's an adventure, I always hear the same thing. People are spawn camping me. People are doing this. And I've, I've always been like, look, I, I play this game a lot, and I'm not saying it isn't happening to you, but I'm never seeing this. So it was kind of weird for me to be like, hear all these people complaining about it, complaining about toxic players and stuff, and then never experiencing it. So when the Herald of the mm-hmm. Flame came out, the first first ship that I came across uh, was a brigantine, and they literally started hurling abuse at me straight away, um, started sinking oh, people who were there. This guy called James showed up, and he was, bless him, man, he was so lovely. Uh, he literally turned up on a sloop and he was like, hi guys, what's happening over here? And I was like, dude, get out of here. Like, you do not want to be here right now. This is not something you want to be involved in um so he he's like well what's happening i just want to do the new adventure i was like bro just please just try and get out of here i'm trying to deal with these guys so anyway these this crew sink me because they managed to get on board they anchor me in their broadside there's not a lot i can do yeah i spent the next hour and a half fighting these guys uh and i think i sunk them three times after this and i basically made myself gatekeeper to try and stop anyone (laughs) else getting screwed with um and it ended up that uh they um they sunk to me for the third time and all of a sudden the island cannon started firing and i was like that's weird why is the skeleton shooting at nothing i realized that it was one of the guys testing the island cannon to see if he could get me uh he then comes out on a rowboat and i'm like why is this guy trying to board me so i line up my cannon and i pop a shot at him from absolutely miles away uh it connects and i was like is that gonna kill him and then all of a sudden there's just mega keg explosion i was like yep this guy this guy is dead um so it ended up that they came back again for another time um and it happened that two people from my stream were on another sloop that had been getting spawn camped by these guys earlier on uh so we chased them down we ended up sinking them i managed to help everybody out i'm this guy james managed to get his adventure done (laughs) i managed to get mine done everything was fine and dandy and everything was good but um it made me kind of realize a lot with these adventures that um I never wanted the servers to be separate. I never wanted PvP, PvE to be separate in any way, shape, or form. But I think with adventures and with anything lore-based, as you're taking, you know, there's only five ships on the server. As you're taking one ship out of that player pool and they're not getting loot, they're not engaging in adventures with other people, Mm -hmm. like outside of the adventure itself, I would be absolutely fine with everything being instanced from now on. And if, you know... If you want to go in with another crew and do that and you can alliance up and take them in the instance, brilliant. But I think if people are if people are doing an adventure, I don't see what how it benefits the game to mark on the map that there's people here who are just trying to do law based stuff. I I guess that Rare have got their reasoning for why they're doing it and we haven't quite seen it yet. But whatever that reasoning is, I I, it doesn't resonate well with me, to be honest. Yeah. I I'm honestly I'm hundred percent in your corner in this instance. Uh, I, I would, I wish there was a, for me, I've, because I love the lore so much, it's, it's integral to what I do. Um, 
I've always wanted to see a way for people to be able to continue playing through the story when the story is no longer relevant. Like I want to have that the context for folks that want to understand the world that want to don't have to, they don't want to have to just go and watch a bunch of videos or listen to a bunch of podcasts to try and catch up on the story. They want to experience it for themselves and they want to have that mm -hmm. opportunity. I've always wanted to have uh, the adventures kind of stored somewhere so that if folks wanted to hop onto a server uh, and just play through the adventures and and just have a time of it, they could. Um, and that would be the way that they could at least just experience the story. And and then, you know, when they're done with the story, they just come back to the natural Sea of Thieves and, and be able to do that. But um, I didn't experience any, any really, like, I would say formidable um, a, a, a spawn camping or, or, or toxicity when it came to the adventures until a hunter's cry. And that was, mm -hmm. that was a situation where, um, I was trying to maintain a sloop solo so that, uh, Davram would be able to go onto the Island, have time to be able to like process what's going on, to be able to experience it. Cause I'd already done it. And the first time that I did it, it was completely, you know, a, a consequence free. I, I had a, a really good experience. Everyone there was, was ready to jump on and experience the story and just be there for the, the adventure aspect of it. Um, and there was one toxic sloop that was, uh, and I wouldn't say toxic really. I should, I should amend that. They were just in it for the PVP. So they weren't really being yeah. toxic about it. They were just harassing um and that was one of the situations where i because i had to deal with uh our ship i probably should have just let the ship go i probably should have let them sunk sink it and then just we just sail it back in um but for whatever reason i decided i didn't want our ship to sink and i wanted daffram to be able to have the opportunity to uh to be able to, to go and experience it but um every time that he wanted to go do work on the adventure there was always someone there besides the phantoms that was constantly trying to kill him and it really detracted from the overall experience. So I, I, I don't necessarily know what the answer is, but I can say for certain that uh, there are going to be folks in situations where they know that there's going to be PVE focused content that will try to disrupt that with PVP. And if you're going to be doing limited time events that are only two weeks long, um, that does not always afford the the most amount of time for folks that are busy, don't always have a whole lot of time. Maybe they've got a big family, they're working mm -hmm. a few jobs. I want those people to be able to experience the story. And if there's no way for Rare to uh, preserve that for um, people that have, have missed out on it, like maybe they won't necessarily get the mementos, but they won't be able to actually get to experience the story. But if they can at least have a way to, to preserve that story or that adventure in a way for other people to go see it. So if they missed it, they can go back. Um, then I think that might help with people that are like, okay, I don't really care necessarily about the mementos. I can wait. I'll do it later on a, on a uh, private server or, or on a separate, you know, lore server and yeah. just experience it that way where I don't have to worry about people. Cause I think that might be uh, an outlet for them as opposed to them having to gate off uh, PVP and PVE when it comes to the lore based stuff. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that the, I, I really respect and, and admire Rare's vision for them wanting this shared world where PVP and PVE can live alongside each other. And most of the time it works really, really well. But when it comes to, these are the times when it comes to, you know, comes to blows and there's problems is when there's something that is specifically PVE orientated and PVPers go and hassle those people that are doing it. Mm -hmm. I, I know it's a small percentage of the player base that are doing it. And at the end of the day, you know, I've said this to so many people in my stream, if that's how you want to play the game, that's how you play the game. There's no right or wrong way to do it. But I think if Rare were to 
take the you know take the feedback on board and if they were to instance that kind of those adventures or if they were to put them in a private server or whatever i think that would really really help in that people would know when they were on the adventure server they would be encountering pvp but when they wanted to go off and do their story that's where it's just pve you know they wouldn't get any gold they wouldn't get any cosmetics except for whatever they unlock for doing it but i think it would help the whole um the the, i think it would just help in general with the, the general idea that Sea of Thieves is PvPVE. It always has been, and it always will be those things. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's going to be a delicate balance. I, I know that they are constantly looking and, and approaching all of the content that they make in, in from multiple angles and really trying to take into account uh, not only what the what the content creator, what the creator crews are doing, what the, uh, the partners are, are saying about it, but also what the insiders are saying on the forums and also what the community feedback is from other content creators, from from just like social media, they're always trying to take that feedback into account uh, because with anything in video games, it doesn't matter what video game it is, it doesn't matter uh, what you're creating, there will always be groups of people who are enamored with it they're they're enthralled by the stuff that you're making there's always going to be a group of people that absolutely hate it they think it's the worst thing in the world and then a Mm -hmm. majority of the people will fall in the gray zone between and it's how do you to, to me it's always been how do you cater to the gray zone because those are the people that are always going to the 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 folks that are going to dip in have a fantastic experience and then go tell someone about it that wasn't necessarily in it uh, to, to come join the game because the, the, the people that love it for everything, they're, they're always going to be positive and that can be discredited by, uh, the, the fanaticism that, that they bring to their, their passion. And then the same for the people that hate it. So those two, those two people or those two groups tend to to dissuade people from testing it out compared to the, Oh, you know, I don't really play it, but I had a really good experience and this was what was fun. And they're like, Oh, okay. That always to me seems like the, the, the mindset when I'm hearing people talk about something that they aren't passionate about it, but they did have a really good time and it was worth checking out. Yeah, for sure. So how are you doing on time? Cause I don't want to take any more of your, of your Sunday up. Yeah, I've got like, uh, I'm just trying to work out what time it is. Uh, it's four o'clock. I, I, I've got time for a couple more questions. Okay. We're good with questions, but I did want to get your thoughts on the, uh, the Halloween stuff. Cause we just recently got, uh, the graveyard get gladiator, uh, costume and weapon set as well as the, uh, the, the Emporium content. Um, I know with you having, uh, being a partner, you, you get to test all this stuff out. So have you gotten a chance to check out like the spinal costume and the new costume for the gladiator and the new set? Like, what are your thoughts on this one so far as a Halloween update? Uh, from what I've seen, I really, really like it, but, um, this is obviously, you know, neither here nor there. Um, we, Boxy and I believe we're superstitious about certain costumes. There's certain costumes that we won't wear. Mm. And, uh, the other night we had the spinal costume on and we were having the best time doing the laugh and, you know, the costume itself looks phenomenal. They've done a really great job with it, but we had so many runs of bad luck that we were like, we have to take this costume off. Like we just can't, we just can't (laughs) use it. And every now and again, there'll be an Emporium item that will come in where both of us will be using it, we'll have a rough night, and as soon as we take that costume off, we'll start winning again, and we just kind <laughs> of... Um, so we, we, uh, we've basically decided the Spinal costume is bad luck for us. The, uh, the oh. other costume, I love the look of it, uh, I haven't really tested it out much myself because I've kind of I've just recently got my pirate to have like a look that I'm really really happy with. So I'm very oh, reluctant nice. to change anything at the moment. Mm. 
one of the perks of a costume, at least in that situation. You don't have to, well, for now, uh, you don't have to go in and, and change out every little piece of, of stuff uh, to, to be able to get his look. That is one of the things, because I, I have two looks. I have my pirate, and then I have the Pendragon cosplay that I do. And mm -hmm. both of those take a fair amount of time and effort to go through all of the different little pieces to kind of make sure that each look exactly how I like them. Uh, and I'm hoping that, you know, with the loadouts coming up, you know, with ships and stuff that we'll, we'll be able to do costume loadouts in the future. Uh, but with the, the costumes, it's at least nice to be able to throw on. Like, I think I had like the, the jack-o'-lantern one on last night. Um, mm -hmm. And that, it, was, it was just nice to be able to throw something on real quick be able to get into the the Halloween experience and then when I'm done I'm done I don't I just take off the uh the uh, little little costume and it's all good yeah yeah I'm with you on that um so we are getting a uh, tricksters and treaters uh, event as well in October on the 28th to the 1st um this year Sea of Thieves marks the spooky season in a new way with a tricksters and treaters in-game event that asks pirates to enable uh generous treats and undertake dastardly tricks uh the tricksters and treaters com compete to raise enough points to meet their own cumulative community goals uh with bespoke rewards and and a title on offer to those who play their part. Um, this is something that uh, we've had some folks worried about events going away with adventures, that there's not enough time to be able to have an event, but also have adventures and mysteries in there. Um, do you like jumping into the events? And is this one that you're interested in? It's going to depend on what exactly it entails. Mm -hmm. um, the the uh, the Fort of the Damned event that came out two years ago, I think it was, or three. Yeah. I, I can't remember when it was. Obviously, that you know, stealing a fort of the damned is is my that's that's the pinnacle content for me. You know, it's it's always been there's always just something about stealing a fort of the damned that I absolutely love. Um, <laughs> but uh, the this I actually did some of the skeleton one as well. Um, mm. But I've only uh, I've only recently, despite having nine thousand hours, I've only recently got into the PVE side of CFD. So it's quite cool because it's like it's. It's like it's opened up a whole new game for me where all of a sudden I'm trying to work <laughs> on commendations and, you know, trying to work on getting all my original commendations complete. So, it, you know, if you'd have asked me this a few months ago, I'd say, ah, if it's PVE, probably not. But now, yeah, I, I most likely will spend that week working on whatever it is I need to work on. It's really funny looking at your chat when you're streaming and you're working on PVE content and they're like, hey, when are you going to go PVP? And you're like, oh, I'm just going to chill for a little bit. We're going to work on some <laughs> commendations. And they're like, it's just, I can see the chat just slow down. And they're just like, oh, he's just going to do PVP. <laughs> it's funny because you, you've built up a brand. You've built up an idea of what people have uh, when they come to your content and uh, and, and watch your, your what you're working on and stuff. So it's been really funny to see you kind of be like, no, we're just going to do some digs, guys. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, is he, it's great is as well, okay? because the, the, <laughs> since I've changed up and since I've started playing like this, I actually realized that the, you know, I, I don't want to say that I'm playing the game the way that Rare intended it. But at the same time, it very much feels like this is how Rare intended this to happen. You're working on your thing. You're getting your loot on your ship. You, you know, you're organizing it all. And then somebody might come along and attack you. And you're then defending your loot. And again, it's that player-driven narrative of other people dictate how your play how your session will go. And other people sort of, you know, they, they push the content on whichever way they're going to push the content. And I, I love that about Sea of Thieves. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like I'm playing a whole new game. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's honestly, that's how I really enjoy uh, seeing things traverse. Like I was working uh, last night, I was sailing with uh, some friends. 
we were working on the um, the cargo crates in the roar because mm-hmm. obviously now is like the best time to be able to do it. And there was yep. one one really confident grade five Reaper sloop with DA sails, and we're like, okay, they're they're serious. They're they're probably sweats. They're probably going to come in here. And then there was another galleon, a grade five Athena galleon, out in the roar with us. And the the two galleons, we never we never like converse you know we, we never change or cross paths like we just kept going to different islands and doing different things and we never really got into each other's business uh and we saw this reaper coming into the roar and we're like okay who's he gonna go after and they started going after the grade five athena and we're like perfect they're bait we've got rum bottles let's go turn in like <laughs> our three sets of uh stuff and as we're sailing um they were north of us and we were we were probably we were a little bit west out of Mike Morrow's and we were sailing over to um, Ancient Spire to do our first turn in because we figured that would be the furthest away from the Reaper would give us the most amount of time to be able to get these rum bottles off our ship. And the grade five Reaper saw us, saw the Reaper, panicked, drop sailed and, and just booked it south with the wind. <laughs> and, and as they they crossed our path well before the reaper did uh and they were just like they kept shooting south towards like ashen reaches uh and and like right about the time that we were heading towards ancient spire the the sloop was crossing in our aft and they were maybe like maybe maybe they were probably still within cannon range and we're sitting there all of us on our spy glasses like on the back of the ship like looking you, you could probably see like it looked like headlights uh to, to the sloop <laughs> you know a bunch of like little glints in the distance and we're like sitting there like are they gonna turn are they gonna turn are they gonna turn and the sloop just kept going and we're like really they just gave up a grade five merchant for the grade five that sounds Athena. like yeah that sounds like a, a reaper sloop with the a sales to me yeah so it was, but it was so funny to think like this could go really wrong really quickly. And we may have to, <laughs> we may have to abort. Um, Cause it was, it was either like we keep sailing or we stop at ancient spire. And if we stop at ancient spire, we're going to have to deal with a, a, a fight. And, and at that yep. point it's like, we're trying to calculate like the, the damage lost to the cracked rum bottles um, <laughs> at that point. But I, I love, I love when you, have those sessions where it's like it's a little bit tense all the time so it kind of pushes yeah. you to be like all right you need you, you should really go turn in because you can see that grade five reaper coming in and you don't know if they portaled you don't know if they uh worked your worked their way up uh sometimes if you don't or if you're not paying attention all kinds of fun stuff like that always happens but yeah man. it's it's having those moments in, in sea of thieves that really bring some of the joys to i think all of our stories in it absolutely yeah for sure and that's probably a good place to kind of uh, uh, wrap things up here. But um, Beard, you've been been fabulous. I, I want to thank you from for the bottom of my heart for jumping on. I really appreciate you coming on to to chat with me. A lot of folks were looking forward to this, myself included, um, especially since SOT Fest and just getting a chance to meet you. Uh, and everyone really loves your content and what you do and who you are as a person. So uh, thank you for for jumping on and spending time with me on this. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. So if people don't know who you are, I don't know how, but if, if they don't know where they can get your content, can you plug yourself, give give some links to where they can meet meet up with your content and see you and, and chat with you and interact? Yeah, so it's uh, twitch.tv forward slash Beardageddon. I'm Beardageddon on YouTube. I'm Beardageddon on Facebook. And on Twitter, I am Real Life Wookie. <laughs> with the best call, the best war cry. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this. Uh, I'll do my regular outro as always after the interview. And uh, there might be a little something special later on. So I'll, I'll let you guys listen to that if I can get it in, done in time. But thank you again for, for joining me, Beard. And uh, we'll, we'll call it here. My pleasure, man. Greetings, and welcome to this episode of the Tales of the Damned. I shall be your host tonight. My name is of no importance, as the tale I bring to you today is one filled with desolate dread and a deep longing. This is an account of the foul things that happened in Bleakheart Manor. Our story opens on a stormy evening horse-drawn carriage trundling along dark English countryside roads. There inside we find our hero. An ordinary gentleman of fair complexion and neatly combed down hair wearing a simple suit. He was on his way to the estate that would be his home for the next six months, as he had agreed to take on the post of doorman. He knew of the place. The village he grew up in was located nearby, and many there would do odd jobs around the manor. In a way, it seemed a rite of passage for him to do a stint in the old house, especially if he wanted to put his education to use and to climb the social ladder. He needed to start somewhere, and where better than here. the dim candlelight of the carriage, he looked over the correspondence he had received from the master of the house. It may have been luck that he got the post so easily, as the household was in sudden need for someone to fill the position. The position? That of a doorman. He would keep watch over the entrance of the manor, allowing guests in and receiving any mail. A simple job but one that could give him the opportunity to progress and to peer inside the esteemed Bleakheart Manor. The carriage jolted as the wheels moved from uneven dirt to stone pathway, marking the beginning of the causeway. The journey had been long, and it was now nighttime. Combined with the storm that had clearly settled in for the night, he could not get a good look at the gardens as the carriage approached the house. All he could make out was the unfamiliar shapes of trees, with their branches jutting skyward, barren of leaves. Even the manor itself loomed imposingly on the horizon, brought to the fore by flashes of lightning as rain pelted down. Welcome, you must be Simon. A finely dressed older gentleman reached his hand out as the door of the carriage swung open. He was sopping wet. It is a pleasure to meet you. Now, I apologize, but we must be swift. Allow me to show you to your accommodations and to your post. The man assisted Simon with alighting from the carriage, and in taking out the large suitcase and other belongings that Simon had brought with him. Led by the elderly men, they rushed through the deluge and toward a small wooden hut that stood near to the manor. This is where you'll be staying. 
He wheezed as he swung open the door, bunging in Simon's belongings. It may not be much compared to the main building itself, but it keeps shelter from the elements. May it in time feel like home for you. Simon inspected the room with a cursory glance. He could see that there was a bed, a desk, and a small section for a rudimentary kitchen setup, most notably space for a kettle. A candle was lit for him, and he was ushered into the room proper. I must be leaving you for now. I will give you a full rundown of your duties in the morning, the man said briskly, already a foot out the door. There was no time for Simon to respond. Instead, he took to giving a proper appraisal of the room and gave a small sigh. It was a start. He reached into his travel case and fished out a leather-bound journal and some writing equipment and set them down on the desk, pulling up a chair and sitting down as he removed the contents. The hut creaked as the rain pelted down on its wooden walls like impatient fingernails on a wooden desk, and in the distance, low bong. Then another. And then a third. Where was that coming from? Overcome by curiosity, Simon rose from his seat and went toward the door. Another bong. As if entranced, he stepped out of his quarters and into the night. Guided by this invisible force, he walked steadily toward the manor's large wooden entrance, a faint light peeking out from the door that was ajar. He opened it and entered into the foyer. A single candle lit the space, held by a figure that stood at the base of a large staircase. His hand reached out as he approached, but the figure paid no mind and ascended the stairs. Unable to move, he watched them take step after step until they reached the top and stood at the balcony that jutted out. They turned. The candle went out. A bolt of lightning lit the room for him to see more clearly, but there was nothing to see. The figure had gone. Thunder grumbled outside the walls of the manor. All went black. The morning sun rose, and Simon had rested briefly on the stiff bed, pondering what had happened for a moment before a dull knocking came at the wooden door, snapping him to his senses. He was less dressed than he had been last night, the briar clothes hanging on the back of his chair in a poor effort to dry them and clothing from his luggage was strewn about. He stumbled over them on his way to the door. It was the master of the house, prompt as one would expect of someone in their position. Simon quickly made himself more presentable before answering. Once again, let me welcome you to Bleak Heart Manor, Simon, came the conservative and wiry voice from the older gentleman. I would like to ensure you have an understanding of your duties. Additionally, I would like to give you a brief tour of the grounds. Although you may not find yourself leaving your post often, it would do you good to understand the magnitude and splendor of the manor yourself, so that you may best serve it. Now, if you would follow me. 
Simon took an apprehensive step out into the courtyard, getting his first proper look at the house and the light. It was a lavish building, made from a blend of oak and stone, rising two stories high, a bell tower on its western wing, and large ornate windows. The entrance was quietly striking in its contrasting simplicity. A single stone pathway leading to an imposing wooden door that was set into the house, creating a small entrance cubby that guests may congregate underneath before entering, or to escape from the rain. The courtyard spread out opposite the entrance into a neat collection of uniform hedges and flower arrangements before being boarded off by an iron fence that kept the darkness of the surrounding forest out. They entered into the foyer of the manor, the same room that Simon had been in the night prior. He could recognize the rough shapes of what he had seen then, but now seeing them in the daylight allowed for him to get a better understanding of the layout. The large staircase started at the left wall and wound its way up to the furthest wall, up to a small balcony that gave way to a corridor and a single doorway which Simon noted was painted an odd hue of red. Underneath this was another doorway, which led into the lavish dining hall. On the right side of the foyer was a corridor that led to another wing of the building. On display in the foyer was a suit of armor, a small wooden table that held a potted plant, and along the walls were various portraits of what he could only assume were past and present members of the Bleak Heart family. The day was spent wandering the remaining halls and the grounds of the large estate whilst the master explained to Simon his duties and what would be expected of him here at Bleak Heart Manor. He got to see the long dining hall, furnished with elaborate chandeliers and candelabras, large oak cabinets featuring fine china, all flanked along its length with floor-to-ceiling windows and thick curtains tied at intervals along the space. There was a library that held stacks of books, a small chapel tucked away behind the main building, and he got to meet with several others who worked as servants to maintain the house. It was truly a different world to the life he had grown up in, and was more than his young self could have ever dreamt of looking over to this manor from the village. As they made their way back to the foyer, walking down the first floor corridor, the mysterious red door caught Simon's attention. This is where that figure from last night had been standing, he recalled. Excuse me, I was wondering about something I saw last night, he inquired. I heard what I can only assume were the chimes of some grand clock and came looking for the source, finding myself here in fact. And when I arrived, I, well, there was someone else here. Do people typically wander that late? No one should be wandering at night, and that includes you. Do not catch yourself doing it again. Additionally, this room in particular is strictly off limits, came the stern reply. He knew better than to try and press for further clarifications or answers and so he let it be. 
But one thing stood out in his mind. He had heard the sound of a rather large clock, likely a grandfather clock, from how clearly he could hear it. But all day he had not seen evidence of a single clock in the entire manor. Had he misheard? As they came down the stairs, the master told Simon that dinner would be served in a few hours, and that he was to join them this evening before leaving him at the door to attend to other matters. This was a strange new place, but for now it was home. He left for his small abode to prepare. Dinner came and went without much fanfare. Though he did find it humbling that servants were allowed their own space at the grand dining table, albeit far from the family. Not that there were many of the bleak hearts attending dinner this eve. It was only the wife who had made an appearance, and the husband busy elsewhere, and their lone daughter electing to remain in her room. As such, there was no real opportunity to see what kind of people they were. He had wanted to formally greet the family and show them his gratitude, but today was not to be the day. Instead, he tended to his dinner and observed what he could. Simon would soon come to learn that not many people visited the family or the manor. Mail would typically arrive on a Tuesday or Saturday, unless it was of some great importance. Food was brought to the house from the nearby village early in the week, and would require a deal of logistics alongside the various kitchen servants. And guests? Well, they came infrequently. Simon's first meeting with guests of the family were two rather haughty men dressed in well of finery, powdered wigs, and bespeckled. He had overheard them talking about some merchant business and thought not much of them. It put in the mind of the types he would see in the city that organized the movement of goods, the kind of people that he knew someday he would have to deal with, although he wasn't looking particularly forward to that day. It was a month before Simon met the daughter of the Bleak Hearts, Lily. She had come out of the comforts of the manor to wander the courtyard. She briefly introduced herself to the new doorman and was off. She was of pale complexion, with raven black hair that reached her shoulder, dressed modestly for her position in society, wearing a necklace, and on this occasion, gloves and a sun hat. Simon watched her as she inspected various trees, winding her way along the hedges, and strolled up and down the central pathway. At around mid-afternoon, a delivery had arrived, and Simon dutifully received the large-wrapped box amongst the other letters and correspondence, and was on the move to place them safely in the foyer before he saw Lily had appeared beside him. Excuse me. The quiet voice reached out. I do believe that parcel is for me. I have been waiting for its arrival. She followed him in, and no sooner than he had placed it on the table had she began to carefully peel away at the outer layer. Inside, a music box was revealed to be waiting, a letter springing forth from the innards as it was opened up. Her face lit up with joy as she took the letter and the music box and retreated to some place in the homestead. 
Simon would later find out that the parcel was a gift from her traveling lover, a bosun by the name of Brennan. He had written about it previously, and she had become so enamored with the description of it that she wrote back that she simply needed to see it in person. It was also his first time learning about her engagement to a man of the sea, that he would be gone for long periods of time, but that the love between them never waned. On his last visit, he had produced the ring to her and made his intentions clear about wanting to spend his life with her. At first, her parents were not so keen on the union, seeing as he could be gone for long stretches of time. They would rather her marry some stuffy, stately gentleman, the typical kind of coupling furthering both the state's fortunes. It took some convincing, but they came around to the idea when he told them of his intentions to take on one more voyage before settling down with a steady job on dry land. Some time later, after they had gotten to know each other a little more, Lily would share with Simon a locket that meant the world to her. Although she treasured everything that her lover gave her, there was one thing in particular that she kept close to her heart at all times. A tiny silver locket with a swirling insignia. Within it, she claimed, was a picture of him, and though Simon never saw it for himself, he would catch glimpses of moments where Lily would produce it from around her neck and look at it with a deep admiration. In the weeks after that meeting, Simon would hear the sound of the music box in the evenings being wound and played out, then wound again and yet again. In the late hours of those nights, he thought he would hear voices chattering in the darkness around him, emanating from the manor. Soft sobbing would follow. It unnerved him greatly. His only recourse was to try and focus on writing in his journal and remembering the delicate sound of the intricate little music box. Some nights, it was difficult to resist the urge to take a candlelit look out into the garden to investigate the dancing shadows he caught only glimpses of from the corners of his eyes. A few days later, Simon was making his way from the library located on the first floor, having gotten permission from the master to borrow a few books. As he passed across the balcony toward the stairs in the foyer, he heard the faint noise of the music box playing out its somber tune. It was coming from the room behind the red door. He stood, entranced, staring at the door. His hand reached out for the handle. All that seemed to exist was him, and the door, and the music box's song. The door swung open, and out came a portly man dressed in a furred evening robe, silk pants and slippers. He seemed confused by Simon's presence, and regarded him briefly before closing the door behind him. Who are you? He demanded. Uh, I'm Simon, sir. Simon? The man regarded him for a moment. Do you have business here? No, I'm just... I was just returning to my post with some reading material for the night. Oh, are you our latest doorman? A 
flash of a smirk. Stop lingering here then, off you go. The gentleman gestured to the stairs, insisting that Simon move on. Let's see how long you last, came his last remark as he disappeared from sight. He would later be made aware that this gentleman was Lily's father, Damien Bleakheart. Days passed, and a missive arrived early one winter morning, one that began a change in Lily, as Simon would later reflect in his journal. As the notification was passed along to the young woman, she'd done as usual and brought it close to her chest, not knowing the news that lie inside the folded papers. Upon sitting down at the grand table to read what she believed to be a letter from her lover, her face went pale as she saw the opening. This was no love letter, no sweetly penned secret, no message for her to trace his curved letterings with her fingers and think of his touch. No, it was a notification of passing. Brennan was dead. <laughs> and that is where our story must come to an end for this evening, dear listener. How did reading the news of her lover's death change Lily? What is Simon really hoping to find in Bleakheart Manor? Won't you join us next time on Tales of the Damned for the chilling conclusion? to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Looking for an RPG podcast that isn't just D&D? Roll to cast is the answer. No, no, wait, sorry. What games have we played so far? Well, we've done Cyberpunk 2020. What does it mean to have a voice? And there's going to be something big coming, Chumba. Hey, if you're listening, I want to beat you. You suck. There was a time when we were slamming things against our phones and... <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade. Chloe, Sam? You can't use those words! He's going to grab Vincent, press him against the wall. I mesmerize him. This is Adelaide's Anarch movement. First out of your chair, your hand goes to your gun and you draw. Hulk Cthulhu. Told you I had it. Oh, we've all got the creeps going. I love it so much. All right, there. Screechy child. <laughs> my favourite daughter. Maybe after what we just seen, we're feeling a bit trigger happy. And the new Cyberpunk Red. Babe, you're good, but better. Thought maybe you might be able to give me a counter-off. Straight through his neck. I don't see bone either, but I'm not gonna look. My leg's fine. I always knew you wanted to fly, kid. Come find me. Roll to cast. R-O-L-E. A new game every season. Original music. Original stories. Interviews with the creators. And delightful Aussie accents. Listen to us on all good podcatchers. Even support us on Patreon for bonus content. That's Roll to Cast. R-O-L-E. Come discover a new world. In a world where solid-state electronics and vacuum tubes are still meta, people never stop loving atomic-powered everything. A chosen 500 stepped inside a subterranean vault to be spared the nuclear horror of the inevitable Great War. 25 years later, they emerge after the fallout settles to retake Appalachia. Among them, 
two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart in their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of two, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope, but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. And so many nukes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast. Rated R. Now streaming on your holotape player podcasty thing.